Hey, welcome to our family. Welcome to our family. That is a new series of messages that we're kicking off today. We're taking a break from the gospel according to John. We'll get back into that in September. But the reason why we're taking this next five weeks is to have a conversation about what is the church. What is the biblical understanding of church? And then in particular, what does it mean to be a part of our church or our church, Revolution Church? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to do my best to kind of help you understand the general biblical outline of the entire Bible, which I know is a lot to do in two weeks, all right? But, but so that you'll know that the church, what the church is, what the church is about, why it is important. And then the last three weeks, we will get into specifically about our church, about Revolution Church. What is it that makes Revolution Church unique and different? What is our mission vision? What is it to be a part of our church, to be a part of our family? So we're really, really excited about this, and we've been working on some stuff for months and months and months as a staff to really help people understand what is church and why it is important to be a part of it. Because we want you to know what church is. We want you to be a part of church. We've had so many guests, and, and we know in August we get a lot more guests. And so we want you to know, because maybe you're new to Revolution Church, and you're like, what is this place all about? We want you to understand that. Or, or maybe you've been here for years, maybe even over a decade now, and it's good to be reminded about who the church is. And speaking of guests, in two weeks we're going to have our, what we're just simply calling our for real grand opening of our Jasper location, because of those of you that were here last year, you remember the story that we opened up our new building in Jasper after meeting for years in the high school, and then we opened it up, and then the next week, the entire world shut down. And we had mailers made, that was, we mailed them out to the community, we couldn't stop them, and so the community got information about a grand opening that never happened. And it was sad. In fact, I've talked to one of my mentors who pastors on the West Coast, and I told him about how crazy, I mean, we moved in this new facility, and it was awesome. We had a bunch of new people, and the next week, we shut it down. He's like, man, that's horrible. And since then, he's been telling me, man, I've been telling everybody your story, because that's one of the worst stories I've heard. I'm like, thank you. That makes me feel really, really awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, but we're having our grand opening August 15th at our Jasper location. So if you live around there, you know people that live around there, we want to invite you to be a part of Revolution Church because we are one church in multiple cities. And so maybe this is the time. Maybe you've just been watching online. This is the time to get connected. And that's another reason why we're doing this series right now because we want a bunch of new people that typically come to our church during this month as we're getting back into the rhythm of school to know who Revolution Church is and then how you can be a part of it. So I'm really excited about this conversation, if you can't tell, all right? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our text that we have for today and talk about welcome to our family. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and how you're working. And as we're going to see today, you have been working, obviously, from the beginning, and you've been working a, a plan all throughout human history that we are literally in the middle of. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to understand today from a biblical perspective what you're doing and what is going on around us. Because, God, it's so easy to get caught up in everything else that is going on and miss what it is that you're doing. So, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and ears to the truth about that. And as always, God, I pray you would help me to communicate your word in a way that first and foremost honors you, because that's what this whole thing is about. And then secondly, God, is helpful to us because we know that you, you speak these words to us so that we can grow, so that we can become more like Jesus and understand who we are by understanding who you are. And so, God, I pray that as we have this conversation, God, that you would help that to accomplish. And we know that can't happen without the power of your Holy Spirit. So fill us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, you can go up to Genesis. And if you're new to church or new to the Bible, this is the Best message because it's the first book of the Bible, all right? You ain't got to go searching for where it is. I'm not an Obadiah or something like that, all right? So we're in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and I'm going to hit Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 15, all right? And the reason being is because what happens in these first section of the Bible sets the stage for the entire book. 
And if you miss this part, then you'll fundamentally misunderstand what the Old Testament is about, what the New Testament is about, what the entire storyline of the Bible is about. And so like I said earlier, I'm going to do my best this week and next week to just give you the storyline, the overview of the Bible, and then help us understand what's going on about church and family and what this whole thing is about, and then specifically talk about Revolution Church. All right, So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 first, then 9, 11, 12, and 15, like I said. But as we get started, let me give you this point, because this point kind of underscores the entire message series about this. In fact, it's even in the title, Welcome to Our Family. And here's why. You might want to, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. God created people because he wanted a family. God created people because he wanted a family. Now, this is hugely important to understand. Again, if you misunderstand this, then you will miss everything that is going on and everything that God is doing. Because we believe that God created people. But you have to kind of step back and ask yourself the question, why? Why did he do this? And there's a lot of theories about that. But the, the biblical idea is God didn't create a family because he was lonely because he needed relationships, because the Bible tells us God is one God in three persons, so he existed in perfect community. He, he didn't do it because he needed to fill up his calendar, or he was bored. You know, all those reasons are horrible reasons to have a kid, right? I mean, think about it. Those of us that have had children, we don't have children because we're looking for a life, because they actually take it from us, right? And so that's the concept. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but really, the, think about that. Like, have you ever stopped? And I know I'm kind of getting medical, metaphysical on you here, but you ever stopped and thought about why? I mean, in the, the beginning, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. So he was there in the beginning, and, and it's hard for us to fathom a time where there was no time. But before time was God, and you say, okay, Why? Well, here's my answer to that question, and, and, and the answer I think the Bible is proposing to us, because he wanted a family. See, the real reason to have a family is not for something that the kids can do for you, but something you can do for them. You don't have a family because of some deficit within you that you're looking to fill. You have a family because you have so much love and joy in you that you want to share it with them. And that's the entire reason why God created humanity. That's important because what that means is we were not created out of any other emotion but of love. We were created, watch this, not so that we could love God, even though we are commanded to, but so that God could love us. Think about that. So the biggest purpose in which we exist is to receive God's love. That's why he created us. He created us because he wanted a family. Now let's go Genesis chapter one, verse 27 and 28, and I'll unpack why I think that is. It says, so God created man, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Now let's unpack that. There's a lot there. I mean, I could spend the whole time. I got to be careful not to, because there's just so much there in two verses. He created, and then in verse 28, it says this, and he blessed them. Now, the biblical idea of blessing is so much more than our current cultural idea of blessing. Because we use this word like, you know, when someone sneezes and apparently that's a really violent thing and you're like, you're still alive, bless you, right? Fantastic, you made it. You know, because it's your body getting rid of something and that's why it's good to just let it all out, you know? And so we say, bless you. Or we sit down to a meal, right? And again, and I'm a pastor, so I think it's important for me to say this. When you sit down to a meal, you don't need to do your quiet time in front of all of us, all right? You're just praying and blessing the Lord. Thank you for this meal, all right? And it's not even about bless this meal, because let's be honest, there's only so much he can do for fried chicken in your veins, right? 
That's not the point. It's thank you, Lord. It's, it's, it's a blessing. We talked about that even communion a couple weeks ago. But the concept of blessing in our culture is it's just kind of a, a pithy saying, just kind of shallow, bless, you know, bless you, you know. And, and even worse, we, we, what we do add meaning into it is primarily about a financial thing. That you're really living a blessed life if you're financially secure. And, and a lot of us, that is the amount of our prayers when, when we are asking God to bless us. But, but I want to be clear with something. God wants to bless you. And it is not wrong to pray and ask God to bless you. All I'm trying to show you is it's much deeper than what you might have thought it was. Because the idea of blessing it isn't just a saying. It isn't just, you know, finances. The idea of blessing is ultimately God saying, I approve of you. It's God saying, I love you. You are my people. Uh, a good biblical reference for this is Numbers chapter 6, where it's called the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing because Aaron was Moses' brother. As he acted as a priest, and it's something that churches for centuries have used as a part of their benediction at the end of a church gathering. And the word benediction just means bene is good. Diction means word. So it's good words. And that's the idea of blessing. But if you look at Numbers chapter 6 in the priestly blessing, it says, may God bless you. May God keep you. May make his face shine upon you. Lift up his countenance to you. And then I think it's verse 28 or 29. It says, and I will make you my people. I'll put my name on you and bless you. And so the idea of blessing, when we see here in Genesis chapter one, is God saying to the first male and the first female, I bless, I put my name on you. You're my people. I approve of you. I love you. And this is the role that we now play as parents to all of our children. Our job is to look at our kids and in a very similar way say, I bless you. I ble it's about presence. It's not presence in Christmas presence with a T, but presence and then my presence with you saying, I'm your father. You're my kid. I put my name on you. I put all that I am on you so that you can experience all that I am for you. So the idea of blessing ultimately is God saying, these are my people. Let me say it to you like this. This is God saying, I'm not ashamed to have you in my family. That's blessing. And speaking of the ironic blessing, you know what's ironic about the whole deal? I thought that was funny in my head. <laughs> This is what we as human beings search for our entire lives. Those of us that may have grown up in a dysfunctional family, that is what you're looking for. You're looking for your father, for your mother to say, I'm not ashamed to be with you. In fact, I'm happy to be with you. That's what joy is. Joy is relational happiness that says, you're my people and I'm happy to be with you. I'm excited to share this day with your mind. I am yours. I'm not ashamed of you. And what's ironic is all of us grow up looking for that blessing. And if we grow up in good families, then we get it. We receive that. But so many of us didn't. And so here's what happens. We go out looking for it. And we try to ask this, well, who's my people then? If you're not my people, who's my people? See, God is saying to them, you're my people. And there's two fundamental questions that we all ask. And I need you to understand this. In fact, I've got it on the screen. You can write it down. Two questions that we're always asking. Who are my people? And how is it like us to act? Who are my people? How is it like us to act? That's what we're asking as humans. Oh, who are my people? And how do we do this thing called life? 
How do we act in this circumstance? How do we act in that circumstance? And God, literally, I've been doing a lot of research on brain science, and not because I'm smart, because I'm not smart, and I need to understand how my brain works. But God literally built us with these mirror neurons where we learn how we act by watching how our people act. This is why it's been said it's so much more caught than taught. So when we have little humans running around, they are looking at us, oh, that's how we act in traffic. Okay. We fly off the handle, cut them off, curse, check. Right? Oh, that's how we do, oh, this is how we do money. Oh, this is how we do food. Oh, this is, why? Because your brain is hardwired to answer those two questions. And here's what God is saying to the first humans. You're my people, he blessed them. And then he said this, this is how you act. Be fruitful and multiply. So think about that in terms of a command. And again, this is where people that are kind of ancillary to the Bible really bug me sometimes because they say that God is just this God of rules. I'm like, you haven't really read the Bible because he gave him one rule. Really two for being, you know, be fruitful, multiply, don't touch the tree. So think about it. If God could give one command, he just gave the most awesome one. Be fruitful and multiply. That means make more humans. And when you make more humans, watch this, multiply them to be fruitful. Let me say it to you like, my job as a parent is not just to physically multiply myself into another human being, but it is also to multiply, hopefully, the fruitfulness God has grown in me into that human being. By fruitfulness, I mean maturity and character. I mean the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's my job, to multiply maturity into them, multiply fruitfulness into them. So the whole reason why God created humanity is so that we would multiply fruitfulness of people that were happy to be in God's family. But if you know anything about the story of the Bible, is that what they did? And again, this is another thing that just annoys with people. Like, it was like half-hearted obedience. Now, I try really hard not to just beat up men all the time because I am one, but I feel like I can speak more authentically about the struggles of manhood than I can about womanhood because I ain't one, right? And so here's kind of how I take what happened because I know as a man, sometimes I halfway hear what my wife says or what somebody else says, so then I halfway obey. So think about this. I think literally the man heard fruitfulness Okay, fruitfulness, fruit, fruit, okay. The devil comes in, he was like, look at the fruit. Fruit. Fruit, fruit. Right? And again, man, I'm not ragging on this, but how many times my wife has told me something, I'm like, I heard you. She's like, you heard half of it. Half obedience is a full failure, right? So don't miss this. Instead of them being fruitful, they were eating the fruit. And how many times have we done that? God blesses us so that we can be a blessing, but instead of using the fruit that God grows in us to multiply blessing in others, we just eat it all for ourselves. But God wanted fruitfulness, right? He wanted multiplication. He wanted them to fill the earth with his glory, with people that were his people. But instead of being fruitful, and this is, again, it just amazes me, this is my God who gave this command. Not the world, not Hugh Hefner, God. God is the one who gave this command, so it was his idea. It's beautiful. And yet you got the men, they're like, oh, fruit. I'm like, man. Because what was God saying? Here's how my people act. Here's how my people act. So he answered those two questions, but again, you know, story, it was all good for two chapters. And then chapter three comes and they give in to the temptation. Why? Because the devil doesn't just convince them. The fruit in itself wasn't bad. They went outside. Watch this. What God's people were commanded to do. So it was a complete reversal 
of human beings saying, you know what? God's not my people. I'll do what I want. So sin enters the world. And again, this is a storyline of the Bible, so I gotta be quick. Sin multiplies. So instead of multiplying fruitfulness, they multiply a bunch of people that are eating the fruit. They're not multiplying maturity anymore. They're multiplying sin to the point where the Bible says that every inclination of the human heart was wicked and evil. And so God sends a flood. If you know the story. And he gets one man and his family, Noah, and he starts over. Well, look at what God tells Noah in Genesis chapter nine, verse one, and again in verse seven. It says, and God blessed Noah, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's almost like God is saying again, hey, remember those jokers that messed it up? I'm starting over with you. God bless Noah, saying, I'm not ashamed to be with you. You're my people. I love being with you. And then he says this, and his sons, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And just so that Noah heard it, he says it again. This is why God's so gracious with us. And you, what was that? Fruit what, God? You, be fruitful and multiply. Increase, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Remember, God created people because he wants a family. And he wants a family of fruitfulness that are multiplying the same blessing into more people. But if you know anything about the storyline of the Bible, is that what they do? No. Look at Genesis chapter 11. Turn there quickly. And we're going to hang here for just a little bit because I got more verses here. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A rather famous story that you might not have known, but is so crucial to understanding the entire storyline of the Bible. Verse 1 in chapter 11 says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Verse four, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What they're saying is, let us do the exact opposite of what we were just commanded to do. Be fruitful, multiply. We don't want to do that. We want to stay here. Verse five, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, think about this in the context of the two questions I told you. Who are my people? How is it like us to act? So every sin is a sin not just to disobey, but to go outside the family. And it's not just... I don't think you're right, God, but it's ultimately saying, God, you're not my people. Look at how Moses describes them. They're no longer described by being the sons of God or the children of God. He describes them as the children of man. What is that about? I believe it is about them now saying we're our own people. We're no longer the people of God. We're our own people now. And here's the connection I want you to see. In fact, if, if you'll just take some time and think back on your life, you don't even have to be that old, and you look back on the decisions that you made that you now regret, almost always I would be willing to bet you that right around that decision time, your group of people changed. Right before that bad decision that you made, your people changed because of some dysfunction maybe that was happening in your family or in your friend group or your church group, and you're like, you know what? These aren't my people. I'm looking for new people, and these people, we determine how we act. And this is so important for us to understand because I'm trying to build out to you what the church is for, but I have been in ministry now for over 20 years, and I have seen this happen so many times I can't even count them anymore. That before someone makes a grievous sin or walks away from the Lord, they walked away from their community first. You want to know why that is? Because at deep down in the human heart, you need validation outside of yourself. So much so that you will even go find a new group of people to validate what you now think is true, what the Bible calls sin. Because you can't do it without someone saying, oh no, it's okay. 
God loves you. So when you make a decision to step outside and act unlike what God says, you will find a new group of people to confirm that what you're doing is right, even though biblically it's wrong. Tell me I'm lying. This happens all the time. We'll go get people to confirm and tell us, oh yeah, you should divorce him. Oh yeah, you should leave them. Oh yeah, you should do that. Oh yeah, you should do that. And, and, and this is the part that just burns me up. They'll, they'll cherry pick like some verse out of the Bible. See, it's right here. Yeah, you're missing the whole storyline though. God's people throughout thousands of families have never acted like that. And when they did, God called it sin or wrong. But this is what I'm telling you. So you see it in the Tower of Babel. Why? Because the Tower of Babel isn't just about one group of people making one bad decision. It is about one group of people giving in to the spirit of the Antichrist that leads all people to make the same kinds of decisions. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. I used to tell teenagers all the time, and now it applies to adults. The problem with us is you guys invent new ways to sin. I don't even know what that was two months ago. Like, what? Oh, that's sinful. Like, there's no, there's no ending to what we can do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. See, if you're reading this with kind of a critical heart, you're thinking, well, it sounds like God's scared. Like, it sounds like God's jealous of what they can do. No, 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 God's not jealous. And, and hear me, God can speak and things happen. In fact, it said in verse five that this tower that they built, it was so big, God couldn't see it from heaven. He had to come down and see it. You think God is intimidated by the power of human beings that he created? Heck no. What you just heard was grace. Why? Because God in his infinite grace and wisdom said, if I don't come down, there's no end to the evil that they will do if I don't limit it. So how did he limit it? Look at verse seven. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the whole earth and they left off building the city. You know, this is where the beginning of nations came from. And, and those of us who've been alive long enough to remember and even be a part of nations fighting other nations. And, and we look at nations fighting and we always ask ourselves this, why are we fighting all the time? Why is this nation fighting this nation? And what we don't understand is that's actually the grace of God. You know, well, that sounds weird. Well, let me say it to you like this. The only thing worse than nations fighting nation is one nation ruling them all. That's worse. If there's only one nation ruling all of humanity and you got one dictator ruling the whole thing, then there are no other nations to keep that nation in check. So here's what God did. He put in a limiter, a governor. Interesting, we use that name. Limiting powers. Why? Because, I mean, we fought world wars over this stuff, right? And, and what was every evil dictator's goal? To take over. To make their nation, their country, their culture, their color the ruling class, and everybody else has to submit to that. And then other nations rose up and says, no, not on our watch. Thank God for nations who fought those wars to keep those powers in check. And what you saw here in Genesis chapter 11, that was God's grace to humanity. And if you're anything familiar with the Bible, you know that in the end, the Bible says we're all working back towards one world government. And as things happen and, and, and new things come on the scene and we're moving back towards that and they're like, well, we need one system, one thing. Well, then the question is, well, who controls that system? Everything is coming back to being more centralized. Why? Because that is the spirit of the Antichrist. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse nine. 
Therefore, its name was called Babel. Tower of Babel, which interestingly enough, Babel, just think about Babel. It literally means confusion, languages, noises. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed him over the face of all the earth. It's interesting. This word Babel occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. And almost always it's translated Babylon. And the Tower of Babel, we now know historically, existed just south of Baghdad, Iraq. That's where this existed. And I'll show you in a moment God's storyline of the nations and the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, fell to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, when Saddam Hussein was in power, he rebuilt Babylon and he thought he was the reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar. You didn't know this was all biblical, did you? Why? Because that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And here's what it says. Build your own kingdom. You rule and reign. Don't multiply and fill the earth and bless all the nations. Don't do that. No, you build a kingdom. Make everybody bow down and worship you. And is that not what every dictator wants? And, but here's when we go further, because we're probably not in fear of any of you becoming an evil dictator, like of, on a world stage. But you might become an evil dictator of your own home. And you set out to build your own kingdom. With, watch this. With your own tower that's impressive. Your own house that's big. And, and you'll say things like this. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not, sucker. You owe your existence to a woman. Settle down, honcho. But here's what I'm you're like. Whoa. See, the spirit of Babel, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit that made Nebuchadnezzar crazy is the same spirit of the Antichrist that infects all people that says, don't act like you're God's people. Don't do what he says. Build your own kingdom. Build your own castle. But here's what I want to say to you. God's not that impressed because he's got to come down to see it because he can't even see it from heaven. You ever been up 30,000 feet and things that were so big, you're like, that looks like an ant. Just imagine what it is from God's viewpoint. And here's what's, I don't know if you travel around the world, but this Tower of Babel idea more than likely was think of like a pyramid. It's, it kind of steps up. And then at the top normally is, was a place where they thought heaven and earth meant. But you, you know, those are all over the world and countries all over the world, Greece, Italy, Mexico, Central America. I don't know if you've ever walked up one. But I walked up one. I'm like, these people are crazy. There's a lot of steps. Why? Why do they go up? Because it's a power thing. Heaven and earth. I got power. That's where God, we rule heaven and earth. I don't know about you, but if I'm building something, it's flat. Homeboy don't like stairs. Lindsay and I have walked away from homes because the primary master bedroom is upstairs. Mm -mm, ain't doing that. But why do we do that? Because the bigger and higher it is, the more impressive it is. And we like to step back and say, I did that. That is the spirit of Babylon. Here's what's crazy. Go read the book of Revelation sometime. You will see how God treats that. If you've read the book of Revelation, there's these times where it talks about Babylon. You're like, what the mess is Babylon? You know what it is? It's the spirit of the power, the prince of the air that's at work that says to us, be your own God, make your own people, do your own things. And God's kingdom crushes it. Go read the end of the book. That's what's going on here. Now, before we get depressed and leave, there's chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. Very next chapter, 
Verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, watch this, your family's house to the land I will show you. Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation. Watch this. And I will bless you. Same idea. You're going to be my people. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God tells them to multiply, be fruitful. They won't do it. He puts a check on their powers by separating them. That's where all the nations come from. Again, Olympics going on. It's all the nations, all the countries, all the languages, all that came out of Genesis chapter 11. And then God chooses one man, Abram, to start over with, to make a new family line. And he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. Again, remember, we're thinking big Bible storyline. So Genesis 12, all the way to Malachi, is what we would call the rest of the Old Testament. And that is the story of God turning Abraham and his family into a nation. And the reason why that's important is because when you read your Old Testament now, as a, most of us, a Gentile believer, looking back into that, there's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. Have you ever read it that you're like, what in the mess is this? Like, you know, you do that Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, you get through Genesis, you're like, this is pretty cool, I like this. Exodus, oh, okay, sweet, God frees them. You get into to, uh, Leviticus, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? What are all these laws? Cleansing from mildew and, and cleanliness and discharge, and what the heck? <laughs> those are laws for that nation. Now, those laws don't apply to us now as a nation, but here's what's ironic. Our nation, America, got a lot of its founding from those laws, particularly the Ten Commandments, because those are what's called the moral law, and Jesus didn't do away with those, but he did away with the national laws and the ceremonial religious laws. He fulfilled them, because the storyline of the Bible was never about one nation in particular. It was about all of them. Let me show you verse three, Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you and in him and him who dishonors you, I will curse and watch this. And in you, all the families, all the families of the earth. Now, what does all mean? You guys are smart. Does it mean some? No, it means all. All the families of the earth, watch this, shall be blessed. Here's the storyline of the Bible. In fact, I've got this on the screen. You can write it down. Storyline of the Bible is this. Family started with Adam and Eve. Didn't work. Started again with Noah. Didn't work. Started again with Abraham. From a family to a nation, Israel, made of a bunch of families. And then watch this. And we'll talk more about this next week because this is the shift in the New Testament, which the Old Testament always looked forward to, always talked about this because I just showed you there in Genesis 12 how it did. It shifts to be made of a family made of nations. So it goes from a nation made of families to a family made of nations. Why? Because God's desire was to have a family. And God is the one who made all the nations in the first place. And then God enacts a plan by getting one man, Abram, to turn him into a nation to be a blessing to all nations. What is going on in the Bible? You want to know what's going on? God's getting his kids back from every nation. God's getting his family back. How do we know that? Jesus comes on the scene, Matthew 28, verse 18. And following, it's called the Great Commission. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus makes this comment. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, which means I've taken it back from all those spirit of Babylon. Therefore, go and make disciples of all what, somebody? Nations. So here's what he's saying. You now have the power of God as a part of my people to walk into any nation on earth and claim it back for who God is. 
to make them a disciple of their father. And, and think about the word father. Why did he use father? He could have revealed himself with any other thing, but he chose the one thing that is the most relational. Father. And here's what's even crazier. He picks Abram. If, if you don't know this, and I, I say this story a lot and I just love it because it just shows the ridiculousness of the grace of God. Abram was a 75-year-old moon worshiper as one of those nations that was created in Genesis chapter 11 who was married to a woman who could not have children. And God says, that sounds just about right to pick, to make a new family with. 75. Any 75-year-olds here want to start over? No, you're 45 and you're like, that is, that's hell. That is literally hell. Now, kids are a blessing. Don't hear me say something I'm not saying. But what I'm, I'm just showing you the, if, if God, like if you were making God's plans for him, would, would it have been like, let's pick a 75-year-old dude, God? Yeah, yeah. No, you'd be like, let's get a 17-year-old who can obey the command, be fruitful and multiply. No. And here's what's even crazier. It didn't come for 25 years. So bro's a hundred. Can you fathom that? A hundred. Whose wife is barren. Why? Again, if I'm writing this storyline, I don't write it like this. This is why people are like, I just can't believe the Bible. This is the only thing you can believe because if I were writing it, we would have never wrote it like this because we couldn't have made that happen. But why did God choose him? Because this family would not be about genetics. It would be about faith. And we'll get into this more next week. Because Father Abram had many sons. I'm one of them. So are you. Well, if you're not Jewish, you're not ge ge geologically. That's rocks. <laughs> Genetically. You're, you're not in this family. And, and this is what the Jewish people misunderstood. It was never about their Jewishness. It was always about the faith of their father. Why? Look at what happens in Genesis 15. I'll show you. Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6. And he, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now he told this to a guy who was a hundred and whose wife couldn't have kids. He says, look up. In verse six, it says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. He trusted. See, Abraham didn't start a family that turned into a nation made of families because of what he could do for God, because he could do nothing. He started a family that turned into a nation made up of families that would turn into a family made of nations because God could do something for him. That's how it works. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Middle East. You know, it's pretty, I mean, some parts are hilly, but it's pretty flat, pretty desert-like, not a lot of trees in most places. No electricity back then. So just imagine when Abraham walked outside, how it would, I mean, he would have just seen 360 stars everywhere. Now, I have been there, but my first thought was not there. You know, I'm from Texas. Most of you know, if you don't. I am. <laughs> but growing up in Texas, we had a song. It goes like this. The stars at night are big and bright. <laughs> Sanctified people up in here. <laughs> Blessed people. Deep in the heart of Texas. Because especially out in West Texas, the joke is God just ran out of things to create. He was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'll put stuff under the ground, oil, but on top ain't nothing. 
Because there's times when you just look up and you're like, holy. And so this song, I've done it at every gathering. I want us to do it again. This time I want you to sing it with me. And the clap part, you can clap four times. All right, come on with me. It's fun. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart, Texas. Speaking of Texas, we were there in April, my family, and we were staying at this place in the hill country, which a place that God didn't run out of things that create. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It's where Austin, San Antonio, that area. And we're staying at this place, and, and they told us, like, hey, you can go up on this ridge, and there's stargazing that you can do. And, and as our family, we're like, oh, we got to do that because it's just different. Like in Georgia, there's a lot bigger hills, a lot bigger trees. They're not as much. And so one night we go up there and we watch the sunset and there's some picnic tables and it gets dark and the stars, I mean, just everywhere are stars, billions of them. And we're laying there on our back and looking up and everybody's just quiet and silent and it's overwhelming. And I'm sitting there, I said, you know, guys, the Bible says that God laid those out and Isaiah, with the fingers of his hand. So what you're seeing right now is the size of God's hand. And Natalie, my 11-year-old daughter, just goes, wow. And I'm laying there, and when she said it, like it just kind of hit all of us. And it's just an emotional, right? And then I thought to myself, I am nailing it as a father. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like you have those, you're like, this is a good day right now. And then I was reminded of this story. Another time where God the Father nailed it. Nailed it. Took Abram out there and said, look up, man. Look up. That's what I'm going to do. And here's what's amazing, church. Those stars were not his genetic bloodline, per se. It was all of his supernatural children. It was you. And it was me. All the people, and we'll get into this next week, who, with the faith of Abraham, believed and it was counted to them as righteousness. That's what he was talking about. Why? Because God wants a family. He wants you in his family. That's what this whole thing is about. And you say, well, how do I get to be a part of the family? Here's the amazing thing. You don't have to be from a certain biological genetic line. You don't have to do something. You just have to admit you can't do for yourself what only God can do and in faith believe that he did it in Jesus and you're part of the family. Because God, as a father, came to get you back. Because that's what good fathers do. Good fathers go after their children. And he did. Today in faith, you believe that and you can be saved. Pray with me. Father, just saying that title just is amazing. God, I know as a kid, there was nothing more than I wanted than the blessing of my father. The approval of my father saying, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud of you. You're my kid. And thank you, God, that you changed the heart of my earthly father to that. But God, I know there's a lot of people here that have never experienced that kind of acceptance, have never experienced that type of relational presence where they have heard you say like what you said to Jesus when he was baptized, this is my son with who I am well pleased. 
And God, the beauty of the gospel is they don't have to earn that approval because Jesus did. And so God, I pray right now for anybody that is here, that is listening, that is watching, that wants that, to trust Jesus, be saved, to have the approval that Jesus earned put on them so that they can be a part of your family through faith. We pray right now, God, you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. The storyline of the Bible is God created you because he wanted you in his family. But we messed it up. And so he sent Jesus to earn it. So that now if you believe in him, you can come back home and be in his family. So if you want to pray and trust Jesus, you can. You don't have to do it out loud. You can pray with me right there where you are. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent Jesus in my place for my sin to earn that approval and blessing. And God, I know that if I'm in him, I'll receive your approval and blessing. So I ask you to save me, forgive me. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me enough to get me back into your family. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you are in one of the locations and you just trusted Jesus, we want to know about that. So very simply, if you want to just lift your hand so we can see that, you can. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. And after you trust Jesus, you know, baptism is a sign simply of saying, I'm part of the family. It's, it's like a party, like a birthday party, where you're saying, I was born again into the family of Jesus, and I'm making that known. And so that might be a step of obedience you need to take. But lastly, I know there's a lot of us here, if you were honest, enough. What you're really wrestling with deep down is maybe you don't feel like you're a part of God's family. And so you're looking outside of God's family for that approval and blessing, which is then leading you to do things and act in ways that God's people don't act. Well, if that's you, you don't need to get saved again. You're part of the family. You just need to be reminded like the story of the prodigal son, who's like, why am I here? This is not my family. These are not my people. This is not how we act. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you. Come back. Quit walking with those people. Maybe you need to make some phone calls or send some texts today. Say, you know what? We can't hang anymore because this is not my people. I got to be back with my people Father, whatever it is, I pray that we would understand that everything that you do is done so that we can experience your blessing. And then, God, I pray that we would live it out by being a blessing and multiplying fruitfulness into others instead of eating the fruit for ourselves. Thank you for being so patient and gracious with us, and we ask you to continue to bless us so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.